0: Welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I'm your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Nick, it has been a hot minute since we have been podcasting. Yeah. We have had, of course, all of the festivities over the holiday season. And aliens, we do need to start this podcast with an apology. We were going to have a Christmas special. Yeah,
1: but due to some unforeseen audio problems, we had to scrap it. So we do apologize.
0: And it was unfortunate that we had to scrap it because it was good. (laughs)
1: Yes, it was.
0: It was very good, and I'm sorry that we lost it. I'll tell you what we were talking about. We were talking about those wonderful little Rankin-Bass cartoons that have been around forever that people still like to see. I forgot to
1: tell you, by the way, I was in Shoppers just shortly after Christmas, and I saw them on DVD. It was, uh, it was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and The Year Without a Santa Claus on a... Two- and a- double movie special I yeah. was like ah, oh.
0: and you know I forgot how many of them there were because the the ones that have sort of survived the seminal ones that everybody wants to see that everybody watches during that that time of year uh like Rudolph and Frosty and all that we all know about that but there were so many more that just haven't uh, sort of stayed and AMC played some of them. And I was just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to watch this. That's awesome. And <clears throat> one of the things
1: that I learned doing the research for that episode was I didn't know that Rankin Bass was behind Thundercats as well as Silverhawks uh, Silver and Tiger Sharks. So I thought that was really, really, really neat.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't just do the holiday specials, but they certainly dominated from like the 60s all the way up to the 80s yeah. with these holiday specials. But we are not here to talk about that. I want to get this... Out of the way, I am so relieved that... We generally don't talk about sports here. Yep. But I am so relieved that DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills is recovering. That was obviously a very traumatic thing for people to watch, for him to go through. And we wish him well. Yes, we do. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us.
1: Well, they can find us on all the social medias. You can find us on Facebook by searching Area 51 and a half. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Hive... At the Area Fifty One H, and of course, don't forget we're now doing regular Twitch shows with our friend Pyro Lily, aka Ren.
0: Watch for those on our social medias, and we'll let you know when they are. Oh, I got to say something that's really funny. Yeah. Uh, remember, uh, on our it was on our Facebook page that we did the. um most anticipated movies, yes. the movies that we were looking forward to doing, and games that we were looking forward to coming out. And I saw this, not knowing what Ren's handle was, and I saw this that you had put up. This was Pyr Lily's um, picks, yeah. And and I, I had to text Nick, and I texted him right away, and I said, "Who the f- is Pyre Lily?"
1: <laughs> That's Ren. <laughs> and, and,
0: and why, and why are they are going to say? And then he's, well, no, that's Ren. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense. <laughs> so speaking of
1: Twitch, um, obviously we're doing a little bit more growing. And I want to let the aliens know that we're working on some really exciting new projects for the new year. So the first thing, and you can look for this in the next couple weeks. I wanted to kind of get it done a little bit sooner, but things have been a bit... Rough around the edges lately, but yeah, uh, I mean, we,
0: let, let's just talk about that for a minute. Nick, <laughs> Nick is in the middle of moving,
1: yeah, and
0: I lost hearing in my left ear for a good uh, couple weeks.
1: Yeah, oh man. Okay, so it was in his le- it's in his left ear. So driving with him in the in the in the dri- <laughs> in the passenger seat has been an adventure. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to start doing trailer reaction videos, so you get to see John's lovely visage and my ugly face on YouTube watching our reactions to trailers, and kind of getting our idea on how we think the movie's going to go, whether we're anticipating it, whether we think it's going to be bad, all that kind of stuff. So that'll be exciting for us. Another thing that we're going to start doing a little bit further on are watch-along shows. So you'll be able to come right into our landing pad with our chat application, and we'll start a movie at a specific time. And you can watch along with us, and you can hear our commentary and interact with us. And we might actually have some people come in as to to talk with us on the show as well. So that'll be fun as well. Now, if you have something you'd like to see from us, feel free to add us on social media. Let us know what you'd like to see, what you you kind of envision. And we can go from there. If we like the idea, we can go. We can try it. If not, well, that sucks. Sorry. But anyway... So that, that's an exciting,
0: uh, some exciting things for us going forward. Nick, I can tell that you are so excited by all of this. And let me tell you, as somebody who is older than dinosaur poop, I understood virtually none of that. And so I am excited to move forward in this journey with you because I'm going to learn something new.
1: That is true, John. And you know what? I'm excited to have you along on that journey with me. This is going to be
0: so much fun. Okay, Nick, uh, I always hate when we have to do this. Just before New Year's Eve, Barbara Walters passed away. Yeah. Now, if any of our aliens are unfamiliar with who Barbara Walters is, I can sort of understand that she has been out of the, the public eye for a good decade or so. Yeah. But Barbara Walters was a journalistic broadcaster, okay? Um, she started in with news, broadcasting, then she moved into talk shows and the Barbara Walters specials. So let me tell you something. This is a heavy loss in the realm of journalism because Barbara Walters wasn't a pioneer in women's broadcasting. She was the pioneer of women's broadcasting. There was nobody else doing what she did when she entered into broadcasting. She got as much money, if not more, than a lot of her male counterparts in an era When that was unheard of. Yeah. She is, to me, one of the... Dan Rather's still around, but she was one of the last bastions of the trusted journalist. Well, I remember being a kid in the
1: 90s, and she was basically a fixture on television at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, she had interviews with everybody, from kings to despots, from celebrities to uh, newsmakers, and she did it with such... Beauty and aplomb in a way that she allowed the interviewee to be comfortable. She would ask the tough questions in a way that they were not afraid to answer them. And she got a lot of, I I hesitate to say the word dirt because it sounds salacious and gossipy, which it wasn't, but she got to the truth of it. She got to the meat of it. She, she got them to open up in ways that no other broadcaster would. So, when I think of broadcasting and who was trusted to give you the actual news, I think of people like Walter Cronkite. I think of people like Barbara Walters. Uh, here in Canada, I think of people like Peter Mansbridge yep. and Lloyd Robertson, um, which would have been equivalents to do those people. So it was just a, a really rich, layered that way that she had of interviewing that I, for one, miss. You know, and she she inspired all of the female broadcasters that came after her, including mm-hmm. people like Oprah Winfrey, you know, including Katie Couric, those kind of, of of women that got into it and said there is a place for me, and they all attribute that to Barbara Walters.
1: And stop me if I'm wrong, but wasn't she one of, if not the mastermind behind the View? She created the View. She created the View. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the neat thing about the view is that is really one of those. Uh, I don't know if it's the very first, so I I, I I hesitate to that, but I think it was where it was just all females. There was there wasn't a, a, a talk show like that before, uh, like when you think about Regis and Kathy Lee, right? Yeah. There was always a male in there. This this one was completely all women. Yeah, and I know there were some.
1: Uh, kind of copycats that came afterwards. Yeah, that the was talk the real
0: and uh, even yeah. here in Canada, we have the social. Yeah. So absolutely, we have to thank Barbara Walters for all the pioneering things that she did in, for women in broadcasting. She was a respected journalist. She was a respected celebrity, if you will, because sometimes that happens where you become this personality outside of your field Um, just by being famous for being top in your field. It's a great loss in a way. It's the end of an era, if you will. And I'm so grateful that we had all of that information growing up from her. Yeah. And with that, no easy segue, of course, it is time for Nick's Pop Culture Roundup.
1: So to start with, John, Aaron... Taylor Johnson, who a lot of people know from movies like Kick Ass, Savages, uh, even Avengers: Age of Ultron, who, where he played Quicksilver, is in the running to play the next James Bond. Now that's—I don't know—I'm not okay with that with that idea, but I'm sure some people will be happy with it. What are your thoughts on it?
0: Well, Nick, I saw uh, No Time to Die. Yeah. I think that James Bond to me is one of those things where <sighs> I'm tired of it. Yeah, I think it was a nice exit. I think that Daniel Craig was a great modern Bond. Um, I don't want to put in a spoiler alert here for a movie that's over a year old now. Um, but it ended in a way that to me you'd need to end the franchise. It's a great way to end the franchise, leave it alone. We're kicking these things to death at this point. I mean, modernly, James Bond, to me, doesn't work. Somehow, the Daniel Craig era worked. Yeah. I don't see James Bond working that well moving forward.
1: I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson, I know he's not a kid anymore, uh, but he still has that visage of looking fairly young, and... I don't know. I it makes me think they're just going to reboot it again and again, again and again and
0: again and again. And my my other fear is because this particular actor I know he's known but he's not overly well known necessarily. This is no shade on the actor, but I'm afraid he's going to be like George Lazenby or Timothy Dalton and not be one of the better bonds and just kind of fizzle and you know, like they had such a high note just End it.
1: But we know they're not gonna end it because at the end of the day. It's Hollywood all is, about
0: the money. It's all a
1: business. So yeah. they're just gonna keep remaking it until they it doesn't make money, and then they'll stow it for several for several decades and then remake it again. Because that's what they do. But I don't know. There are other actors I'd like to see. I still want to see Idris Elba as James Bond. I think that would be great, but whatever.
0: I don't want to see another actor playing James Bond. I just
1: want to end it. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. So, we don't normally talk about politics on this show. Actually, I don't think we've talked about politics, period. But this is just something cool that I wanted to bring up. So, California's Robert Garcia was sworn into Congress recently. And he was sworn in on Superman number one.
0: Which, (laughs) I think that is so cool. Was it Superman number one or was it Action Comics number one? It was Superman number one. So, the
1: first actual... Comic titled Superman. Superman. Okay. So that's really cool. Uh, I, I like seeing, I like seeing people like politicians kind of fly their nerd cred. And apparently yeah. it's very personal for him. He also had a picture of his parents who died from COVID-19, uh, with it as well when he got sworn in. So that's really neat.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to me because, uh, I, I used to be a paralegal just so that people know and <laughs> the, The legal system is different here in canada than it is in the states so i'm not going to pretend to know everything about the states but i know that there are alternatives for people to swear in because usually you swear in on the bible yeah so i know that there's alternatives but this one just kind of blows my mind in a way that they could actually use a comic book for somebody to swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help them superman (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it works. Truth, justice, in the American way, right? Yeah, and, and he is a he is a, a a Christ
1: allegory, really. Yep. And from one superhero to another, let's talk a little bit about Jeremy Renner. Oh, that accident! Holy oh, man! Uh, so, Jeremy Renner was involved in a snowplow accident and wound up in critical critical condition in the hospital. Now he seems to be he's been posting on social media his family's with him everybody he seems to be in really good spirits he seems to be recovering but man it was a hot a hot sack in there where i was like worried we were going to lose hawkeye
0: what makes it so horrific is the fact that like a true superhero he was trying to help somebody this was his snowplow yeah and it's i i'm so glad that he is recovering the the pictures look horrific mm-hmm. the the bruising the the details of what was broken on his body i'm He, outside of the MCU, he's a fantastic actor. He's been nominated for an Oscar before. Yeah. So I'm glad he's still with us. And from the bottom of my heart, I wish him all the best recovery. All right, John, the next thing
1: we're going to talk about is some news from the weird world of pro wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) Vince McMahon has returned to the board of directors for the WWE. So a little bit of roundup on that, a little bit of backstory on that. Talked about it last year. He was removed from the board for some allegations. questionable behavior, shall we say. The most questionable behavior. And now he's back. And this is honestly better than anything WWE has on television. This is amazing. So he's returned with two prior board members. He has majority voting power. When I say he has majority majority voting power for the shareholders, he holds 80, like 80, 81% of the vote. He has... Um, something like the majority of the class B two shares, which gives them like ten times the voting power. It's ridiculous.
0: It's funny you say that because I just rewatched Iron, the first two Iron Man movies. Yeah, and that's exactly what Tony Stark says. He's got like something like 81 percent of the yeah. the the board. So basically, he's Tony Stark without a conscience. <laughs> he's, yeah.
1: And old and maybe, you know, but here's the thing. Like I've, I've learned a lot of, uh, a lot about wall street and stocks from following this story. Now they've, they are selling the company. He is back to sell the company and they've, they've hired JP Morgan to, to kind of broker that deal. Now he w- Vince won't be involved in creative. So what's happening on television is happening on television. He's not involved in any of that. It's going to continue being run by Stephanie and Triple H. But right now, as far as board the board goes, we don't know where that leaves Stephanie, Triple H, or Nick Khan, who was the uh, who Stephanie and Nick Khan are currently the co CEOs. It's really really weird. It's really kind of exciting because I want to know where this is going to lead. But there's a lot more to it if. If our listeners want to know more about it, uh, definitely check out What Culture, uh, The Jim Cornette Experience, or any other Myriad Wrestling podcasters about it, because there's so much weird stuff going on about this.
0: This makes my head hurt. Uh, I'll tell you why, because again, just having rewatched Iron Man and Iron Man 2. The similarities are kind of stunning in a way, and Mm. maybe I'm doing an overreach. I don't know. But if you think about what Tony does with Stark Industries, he wants claims he wants nothing to do with it. Doesn't go to sell the company or whatever, but he winds up making Pepper Potts the CEO. And they eventually get married. Yeah. And he doesn't really give up the company because his wife is running the company. You know what I mean? His girlfriend, his fiance, his wife. So he doesn't really give up the company. He just gives up control of it or working it or the face of it to somebody that he is not losing it to. So, Nick, I have to ask, who are the buyers or potential buyers for the
1: WWE? You know, honestly, I love the fact that you brought all of that up, and I will talk about that in a second. So potentially, though, potentially, there's a lot of names out there. People are talking Disney, people are talking Netflix, people are talking uh, Saudi Arabia, the the crown prince and all that. Personally, if a network was going to pick up WWE, I think comcast which is nbc universal right would make the most sense because they have the history with them
0: yeah and i i don't see where disney fits into it. it doesn't fit in with the disney brand as far as i'm concerned the only reason i would say disney is disney's
1: ambition to own everything yeah at, at
0: some point i envision that the planet earth is going to be this we're going to see this image Somewhere out there, they're going to build two Death Star replicas. And the Earth and these two new moons will then look like the Mickey Mouse logo. So,
1: that's (laughs) hilarious. That
0: that is what I think Disney wants. And I salute our future Disney overlords, in case they're listening. So, And I'll talk about
1: Disney for just a second. So, this was brought up on the Jim Cornette experience, is that... Disney wants stuff that they can put in their parks. Now they would own the copyright. They would own the. Uh, they would own Stone Cold, but they wouldn't own Steve Austin. So would they have just generic bald guys running around their parks in <laughs> vests? Like,
0: Look, I, I can see how the MCU fits, right? Yeah. Uh, but even that to me is really difficult because. If I were ever to go to Disney, again, I haven't been in years, I don't want to see Thor and Iron Man, and I certainly don't want to see a John Cena replica. I want to see The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Mickey Mouse and Pluto and Chippendale and all those, and Daisy Duck and Minnie and, you know, all of the, the, the stuff that is Disney.
1: Yes, and WWE certainly. Is not Disney now again NBC Universal? Most likely, they're already set up on. the It streaming fits ad. there. It fits there, and they're already set up uh, set up on the Peacock stream, streaming streaming app. Yeah,
0: so I know, yeah. I know a lot of people would sit there and go, "But John, what's the difference between a Universal park and a Disney park?" Well, if you don't know the difference, I, I, I I'm sorry. The Universal parks are set up in such a way that they have different islands, like especially in the Islands of Adventure area. Where they have different things. That is their whole thing. It's like, it's a wide variety of movie. Universal was the monster, uh, studio at first. You know, started with Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, Werewolf, you know, the whole bit. Creature from the Black Lagoon. That's what it was built on. They've expanded into that. They've got Harry Potter. They've got Jurassic Park. They've got King Kong. They've got uh, DC. And, and they they have some certain rights to DC, uh, as I understand. Like they could easily do an overlay when they lose the rights. Yeah. Uh, they could easily do an over overlay on the, the rides that they have. The Hulk would become like a Superman ride and yeah. so forth and so on. So at least they had them. I don't know if they still have them or not, but at least they had them. So I could see the WWE fitting into that. I don't see it fitting into Disney. I certainly don't see it going to Netflix because, oh, okay, three years and we're done, bye.
1: Well, and that's the other thing because WWE is looking to sell for about $5 billion. Now, that is more than what Disney paid for Star Wars, more than what they paid for Marvel. And we see how Disney is... Doing the blue milking of Star Wars to get their money back. Well, I mean, they made their money back in the first year. Yeah. But anyway, here's the thing, though. And I'm just going to ask you very quickly before I get into my next point. Do you think what you know about WWE, do you think it's worth $5
0: billion? I think there was a time when you could have made that argument. I don't think that argument stands today. I agree with that. And I agree with that as a wrestling fan. WWE's,
1: without getting too much into the business, yes, they are posting record revenue. And it's amazing because their ticker, ticket sales have never been lower. The ratings have never been lower.
0: I always compare it to what... I've, I've said this to you. There's a difference between celebrity and fame. Fame is when my mother knows who you are. Yeah. Okay? So I'm always going that... Uh, my mother's an 83-year-old woman, doesn't pay attention to any of this stuff. She knew who Hulk Hogan was. Right. She knew who Stone Cold Steve Austin was. She knew who The Undertaker was. If I were to ask my mother who the wrestlers are today, she wouldn't know a single one of them. Yeah. Okay, now, that could be because my father has since passed away, but he hasn't watched wrestling in years. But I feel like there is a certain amount of celebrity that even if you don't know where they fit in, whether it's a singer, whether it's an actor, whether it's a sports uh, star, whatever, there is a certain amount of fame. She knows who David Beckham is. She knows who LeBron James is. Right. She knows who Wayne Gretzky is. You know. So I mean, there's a certain amount of fame that everybody knows your name, and I don't know that that is true now with the WWE and their stars. I would agree with that. Um,
1: Roman Reigns really is the more most recognizable one right now. And even then, I don't think he's 100% recognizable. I think some see him as Roman Reigns, and some see him as the guy that kind of looks like Jason Momoa.
0: <laughs> but, that's, thought, but that's to the point. I only know who Roman Reigns is because of you and a few other friends that follow yeah. wrestling, because I've stopped following it years ago. So one last point about the
1: sale of WWE, then we'll move on. So with your whole kind of thing about Iron Man, this is where it kind of lies. Vince McMahon has 81% of the, the buying power or the, the voting power. He is the one that is going to approve any sale and he gets full approval on that. 100%. Yeah, the, the board be damned. He is the company. He is the company. And that's the thing. He could turn around and buy it himself and take
0: it back private. You know, and it be, Nick, it just becomes this really odd kind of thing because. Going back to the installment of WWE when it was the WWF. Right. I'm a teenager going back. I didn't know Vince McMahon owned it. I thought he was just a commentator along with Jesse Ventura. He was very affable. He was out there. He was like, oh, uh, did you see that slap? And uh, like, what's going to happen next, Jesse? And Jesse, I'm Jesse Ventura. I'm going to tell you all this kind of stuff. and a slobber knockers thing. And, you know, and it was fun. And he was this kind of fun face, if you will, of the company. But you thought he was just an announcer. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, he owns it. And then we're not going to get into it. Then there's the whole Bret Hart situation, yeah, yeah. screw the boss. And and it seemed like Vince McMahon decided, hey, this is a good way to go. Because that was a, a good attitude in the 90s, attitude era. Yeah. And But it seems to me like he has now become the villain that he created. He's become the cartoon that he, he was portraying on the show. So... As I've said before, I'm a
1: bit of a wrestling historian. So I know a little bit about Vince McMahon prior to all of that, based on stuff I've heard, mm-hmm. stuff I've mm-hmm. read, all of that. Now, Vince McMahon, um, I think he's always had this, ambi- this ruthless ambition from sure. when he was a kid. Yeah. Cause this is, this is like, he did not have a good childhood. No,
0: he wanted to prove to his
1: dad. Whatever, oh, go, right? it goes beyond that. Yeah. He grew up in a trailer park with his mom and his and aggressively abusive stepdad. He didn't know who Jess McMahon was until, or Vincent uh, Jass McMahon was until he was 12. So I can understand that he's always had this drive to not just to make things better for himself, but to be better. And that is, is really what has um made him what he is. And I do think that he has, for lack of a better term, gotten high in his own supply and really started believing that he is the Vince McMahon that we see on television. And I do think that there is a lot of that in this. Like I said, this is better than anything we're seeing on television right now. And why? Because Vince McMahon has transmogrified from this interesting, captivating TV character to this interesting, captivating and kind of mad billionaire.
0: Well, I don't find him that interesting or captivating, but I certainly uh, certainly think he's mad. Yeah. So if
1: anything else comes up about this, I'll mention it on another show. But right now, that's all I have.
0: Speaking of the privileged and powerful and out of touch. Yeah. The Duke of Sucket, I mean Sussex, <laughs> <laughs> book spare comes out on Tuesday. And it is already creating all kinds of controversy. Not just for the Windsors, but for him himself. Because here's the thing. I understand that people are looking at this from the idea that, oh, he and Meghan Markle are telling their truth. Okay, fine. But the thing of it is, we all have a different truth. You know, yeah. you have a truth, I have a truth, Ren has a truth. And Just because it's their truth doesn't mean it's always their fact. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's just just like Obi-Wan says. Everybody's experiences are based on their own point of view. Yeah. So I'm not trying to get into the the whole thing about the accusations of racism and all this other kind of stuff. But there is an excerpt from this book that Harry has gotten uh, the ire of the Taliban and... Not that I would ever sit there and say I side with the Taliban because I don't. <laughs> okay. Just let, let's make that clear. But he referred to his time in Afghanistan and how many kills he had as a soldier in Afghanistan by referring to them as clearing the chessboard, clearing People off the chessboard. He's taking these chess... And the the, the people have said, these are not chess pieces. The, you know, Afghani... Were, <laughs> these are not chess pieces. These are human beings. They had families. To refer to it that way is very uh, inflammatory. It's very insulting. It's very cavalier. Yeah, I, I can see the stunned look on your face. John, I, I didn't know that
1: that was said. And frankly, I, I'm disgusted and flabbergasted by that. That's that's too much. Well,
0: because, well here's the thing. Rick and your face, you know, he was so savage on the Golden Globes by referring to all the Hollywood people as being the most privileged people on the planet that had all of this wealth kind of thing, right? So this is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the royal family. They... Don't live in the same reality that the rest of us live in. No. And I'm, we know that. By, by any stretch of the imagination. We're not going to get into the, the, the whole um, colonization and all the, the, the negative stuff. We're not going to get into that because this isn't a political show. But
2: the,
0: the thing of it is, no matter what you think, whether you side with Harry and Meghan, whether you side with the royals, it doesn't matter. The point of it is, if I were a celebrity... I don't know that I would write a book that airs all the dirty laundry. You know my brother and I are completely opposite personalities. Yeah. We have had... Some slobber knocker roles. I I can tell you that. And I don't mind saying that. But I'm not going to put it in a book and sit there and say, "Uh, my brother William, he grabbed me by the scruff and he shook me. And of course, I'm just being silly at this point. But I mean, why? What is the point? I'll tell you what the point is. He's left the royal family. He has a certain spot of money and wealth and lifestyle that he needs to maintain. And so how is he going to do it now? By pulling the rug from under them, by writing these, and he didn't even write it, it's like with a ghostwriter, but writing these tell-all books, doing these tell-all interviews, being salacious and gossipy, and it seems almost a little hypocritical to me that you are criticizing the paparazzi for all of the involvement that they had in shaping your life, and yet you are also courting the media to come in and listen to my truth gossip. Well, and that's
1: the thing. Like, this is a guy that said that he wanted out the limelight. He's not doing a very good job of that. And frankly, I'm disgusted. Meghan
0: Markle was an actress. He's in the limelight. Of course, they, they they want their they want their cake and eat it too.
1: Yeah, that's, that's basically it.
0: You know, so uh, anyway, the point is, if you're really interested, the spare—or it's just called spare. Actually, spare comes out on Tuesday. That's all I'm. That's all I have to say anymore. So let's move on to
1: another joyous com- uh, conversation. Another joyous topic: DCU, the DC Cinematic Universe.
0: Oh, dear. you ready for this? Yep. Okay. Let's 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 move into it. So
1: let's talk a little bit about <laughs> what's going on. So we we know that. James Gunn has taken over and he has his vision.
0: Uh no, he doesn't have vision. That's MCU. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, he left that behind. Anyway, oh man. He might have x-ray vision cuz Superman does have that.
1: This is what I have to work with, folks. Anyway, <laughs> dad James, jokes. James Gunn since 1969. James Gunn has has essentially taken over the DCU. Now, what that means right now is we know that they're no longer moving ahead with the with Henry Cavill's Superman. Black Adam is out the door. We we're still getting the Robert Pattinson Batman movies as a separate thing, but the Ben Affleck Batman is dead and buried. Gal Gadot has is gone. <gasps> Jason Momoa might be, yeah, I know that's upsetting for you, as it is for me, but nothing more for you. But Jason Momoa is apparently going to be shifting in, into the Lobo role away from Aquaman. This has all been really hard for fans online to take because we were, we all thought we were getting Henry Cavill back, and a lot of people are upset about that. Apparently, that they're going uh, Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, and Gal Gadot are going to be suing Warner Brothers over this. It's a mess. And I get it. I understand. Now, I don't know how much of it is James Gunn wanting to go, I want to start from the beginning. And how much of it is Warner Blair saying, we want you to do your own thing and start from the beginning. I don't know how much of what is what.
0: Just tell me who to hate. Just tell tell me who
1: to hate. Okay, I don't think. Okay. I am going to approach this as positively as possible. I like James Gunn's films. I like James Gunn. I have faith that he can do well with something here. It's just upsetting seeing all of this happening because I was excited to get Henry Cavill back as Superman. But the ridiculous thing, John, is reportedly they're going to keep Ezra Miller as the Flash going forward. After all the problems, after all the problems he caused, they're going to keep him and get rid of Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot.
0: Nick, I'm at a loss for words because I don't have the same faith in James Gunn that you do because I saw Suicide Squad 2. It wasn't that tremendous. Okay? So I don't think we can continue on right now without going back and talking talking about the Snyderverse. Now, here's the thing. Folks, I have seen people just basically... Eat the Snyderverse up like it is ice cream. It wasn't that good. Okay. So yeah, you need to renovate the house. Okay. But when you renovate your house, you do a renovation. You don't take out the things that are good about your house. Let's say, Nick, that, that we're, we're tasked with, with clearing out a house. Right. Okay. If people want to renovate it. That's fine. But there's certain things that they want to throw in the, the garbage and certain things that should be kept you don't so we find a faberge egg we don't throw out the faberge egg the faberge egg here are gal gadot henry cavill jason momoa ben affleck you don't throw the actors out you sit there and say hey Let's take it in a new direction. We're going to kind of start over, but we're going to keep these guys who the fans absolutely love.
1: Yeah, I feel like getting rid of Henry Cavill is like sticking a a wad of C4 to the back load-bearing wall.
0: Yeah. And And, and Gal Gadot, she is a spectacular Wonder Woman. I'm sorry that, that Wonder Woman 1984 wasn't a good script. That wasn't her fault. But she's still a fantastic Wonder Woman. Yeah. Jason Momoa is a fantastic Aquaman.
1: Yes.
0: Henry Cavill is the best Superman, no shade to any of the other actors that have played him from Dean Cain to uh, to now. He is the best Superman since Christopher Reeve. And
1: Ben Affleck certainly is a Batman.
0: And he hasn't had the chance to be. I
1: know, I know, I know. And I you know I like Ben Affleck. I would love to see him have that chance, but apparently it's not going to happen now. Before we get a little bit further on the DC thing, James Gunn has hinted that he's going. he might do a movie based on Kingdom Come. Now, the idea behind Kingdom Come is Superman. It's an older Superman who has become disillusioned with truth, justice, and the American way. That could possibly pave the way for another Henry Cavill film. Huh. But... And this is the problem. It's all teasing. It's all
0: teasing. We need, the fans need something concrete. Where is my Michael Keaton old man Batman?
1: He's, well, there's the other thing. Batgirl got scrapped, so he's not going to be in there. Flash is coming out, and then Michael Keaton's not going to do another one.
0: The same point. I'm reaching back in the podcast. No more James Bond. Sick and tired of superheroes. Sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of them teasing us like this. I'm sick of them using our emotions with this because these are movies that, listen, they're not... Once in a while, we get a real gem that's going to have some Oscar nomination buzz and whatever, right? Yeah. But for the most part, it's escapism. It's popcorn flick. We go there to have fun. Black Adam was fun. Black Adam was fun. I mean, when Black Adam first shows up, and that was just... A glorious symphony of special effects as he lays waste to all of these militants. It was a joy to watch. The Rock did a good job. At the end, spoiler alert, we get Henry Cavill coming back as Superman for a hot minute. Yeah. That is now just here, garbage. Yay. I'm sad. And I am too.
1: There are all sorts of things that I want from the DC movies and I... You mean a good script? <laughs> thank you. But like, that's, that's the thing is like, I'm waiting for that good script. I feel like the initial Snyderverse was rushed way too fast to try and catch up to Marvel. I feel like James Gunn is going to take his time, which is fine. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I feel like it's all, and we've mentioned it here before, ladies and gentlemen, one big missed opportunity.
0: Yeah, I listen, I enjoyed Aquaman. I enjoyed the first Wonder Woman. I even enjoyed Man of Steel. I didn't enjoy Russell Crowe as uh, Jor-El so much, but I, I did enjoy Man of Steel. <sighs> because you had Michael Shannon in there as Zod, and it was this really great battle between the two of them, you know? And it it made Superman a little bit darker and him struggling with those ideas that he has to take a life to save lives. And that's something Superman doesn't want to do ever. And, you know, just when you heard how Michael Shannon approached... The idea of playing General Zod, it was just the most glorious thing I ever read in, in print anywhere where he said, I went to the well and I lowered the bucket into the lava and I pulled up the lava and I drank it up. And I was like, wow, like this is, very, this is just an interesting way of saying I, I decided to find some sort of demonic badass to be. And it was, this this was sort of a nice launching pad. I mean, Marco Roby was a, a great Harley Quinn. But you know she's, what? I imagine she's gone too.
1: I we don't know about that. I so here's the thing: Peacemaker is getting capped because that was that's, that's jam- a TV show. But like that that is being capped. So does that mean that the Suicide Squad characters are being kept? Well,
0: of course they're going to keep them because it's they they're It's he, James Gunn's. He name. created them. Yeah. So, so I so I don't know if this is this is what I mean. Tell me who to hate cuz I I don't think the suits at Warner Brothers give a crap. I think well, that this is James Bond James Bond. James Gunn basically saying I'm going to write my thing. So, and
1: let's talk about Warner Brothers for a second. Right now, they are in complete disarray because of the whole Discovery takeover. It's a mess. They apparently don't have enough in their advertising budget this year to properly advertise their movies. So, the whole thing's a mess. And James Gunn is inheriting a mess, I guess.
0: My dudes at Warner Brothers, listen to me. Your cartoon DCU should not be better than your live-action DCU. So, and let's
1: let's talk about that for a second. So, apparently, one of the things that James Gunn is going to be drawing inspiration from is the DC Animated Universe.
0: Okay, that's great.
1: That's cool. My honest hope is that he goes to some of the people that have written these animated movies and go, "Make me a live action movie, please," because that's the only saving grace at this point.
0: They, I, they, I recorded one because they're so good. There was one that was playing. It was uh, I think it's Batman versus Robin. Yeah, you know, and I haven't seen it, so I saw that it was on. It was on really late, so I said, "Yeah, I'm going to record that and I'll watch it later." Because I have been enjoying getting into the DC cartoon universe a lot more than than this, and it's it's bad writing, but it is not bad acting. You have people. I can't stress this enough. People who are really good at portraying these characters. You have made the right choices. Ezra Miller aside. He needs to be recast, absolutely, because you there has to be consequences for his buffoonery. But uh, I, I, I can't hammer that. It's not just good performances. It's people
1: that understand the characters that they're playing, and that's the main thing. Henry Cavill has a clear... And very concise understanding of Superman. That is obvious. That is clear. That is 100% there. Yeah. And to get rid of him. I don't know. It just it's, it's not just a slap in the face to Henry Cavill. It's a slap in the face to all of his fans. And all the Superman fans that enjoy him. So that's, that's basically it for me. I'm going to wait and see what else is going to happen with this. If it's going to be a Kingdom Come movie. I'm in. I would like to see how that plays out. But at the moment, cautiously optimistic.
0: Um, Cautiously, I'm done with it. Pessimistic. Yeah. Um, However, I will do this saving grace. Um, Even though he's not my favorite actor. Robert Pattinson is not my favorite actor. I did like the Batman. Uh, Give me another the Batman. But don't give me the Joker.
1: Yeah, I want um, something else. Like, we have another Joker movie coming out. Just give me something else, please.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I can't... Does that come out this year or next? I think it's
1: next year. I think they're filming this year. It'll yeah, I'm
0: year. really looking forward to that because I really think that the the Joker was really a fantastic, uh, different kind of universe for that. And I, I kind of like that they're doing that, but do that with... The, your other properties because you've done the Batman which is different. You've done the Joker which is... I, I don't even think it's Warner Brothers. It is Warner Brothers. Is it? Yeah. yeah. But Which is different Um and that's good different. Yeah. Unlike Halloween Ends which is bad different. Yeah. But give me something different with the other superheroes too. Stop trying to create this entire universe because the MCU did it. Yeah. Just give us good superhero movies and i'll come back in but i mean face boar is taking me out of marvel too okay nick i think we've talked the superheroes to death at this point let's talk about a new movie that came out that we saw with ren over the weekend that we both really enjoyed let's yep. talk about megan and before we do here is
1: your spoiler alert <coughs> spoiler alert <coughs> spoiler alert,
0: <coughs> spoiler alert. <coughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. alert. Okay, so Nick, Megan, something a little different-ish in, yeah. in the fact that, yes, we have seen movies about AI got run amok before, but not to this level. This was good.
1: This was really good. This was smart.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a smart script and it was very enjoyable. I'm not going to sit there and say this was a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are some... The things that that we use as a criteria, I just want to explain to the aliens listening. It's not just about the story. It's not just about the acting. There's technical things. There's how the writing goes. There's all kinds of things that I consider. So is Megan a great movie? No. But is it enjoyable and fun to watch? And are you going to learn something from it? Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to say it's good. I enjoyed it. So let's talk a little bit about the AI run
1: amok before we get into the, the meat of the film. So it's not just AI run amok, though. I mean, you have that. But it's also about the relationship that we as people have with our devices, with our electronics. With
0: our technology, yeah. Because, again, like this is the beauty of, of a podcast like this where I come from Gen X and you come from the millennial generation where we can look at things and we look at things very differently. I am not a tech guy. Yeah. So a lot of times... I was really thinking about this probably because of Megan. There is a lot of tech out there, like let's let's be honest. a flashlight is yeah. tech, okay? Because it's not a torch anymore. Yeah. it's It's not a match. It's not oh, fire good. It's something that somebody said, How can I have fire and shine a light into the darkness? And they came up with that. That is technology. So yeah, technology is not bad, but sometimes technology is frivolous.
1: Yes, it's the, it's the whole Jurassic Park thing where Ian Malcolm says you were too preoccupied with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. And that movie plays this up in Spain. Yeah, and
0: that's that's, you know, as a Gen Xer, that is one of my problems with not having embraced technology the way that I have because you know, again, so as I mentioned, I've been watching the the mcu again so watch the iron man movies and i think it's um tony stark's dad who makes the point that technology can better our lives it can give us more robust health and and he's absolutely right when you're putting that kind of technology into like the medical sciences yeah i'm for it you know but when you're putting it into uh yeah i i can i i now have a little pet in this little pot that i can waste my time and keep alive I I have problems, you know.
1: I had a conversation with Megan last night. You can contact Megan on Facebook and have a conversation with her. And really, AI? It is like is
0: it? It's tied into the movie. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out after.
1: So that was fun. I eventually stopped because it was getting weird, but <laughs> yeah, it was like that's the thing.
0: Well, there I saw Lisa Ling uh, did a journalistic um report on this where and i don't know what it i can't remember because i saw this like it was before christmas so i saw it like months ago but there is basically artificial intelligence that you can access through your phone and it's a it's it's your friend but you can actually have relationships with that thing and and the one woman that they were talking to with the subject she had a fiance. But the fiance was like, you need to, honey, you need to ditch this thing, right? Because she was acting like this artificial intelligence was an actual person and she'll talk to it. And I understand sort of the idea because another subject that they, they had used AI to sort of come out of their shell a little bit and talk to people as sort of dating kind of stuff. But it it becomes a weird thing because you can so easily become addicted to this to this technology. Everything in moderation, everything in moderation,
1: and that's kind of the thing, and that ties in very well to this movie because it highlights how parents and guardians are so predisposed to just let their kids have their screen time. And just let them have their technology and let them do, go off. But it's
0: interesting that you say everything in moderation when we're talking about the addictiveness of, yeah. of this. Because, uh, and I'm not I'm not slamming you. I'm not bringing you down. But I just want to make the point so our aliens understand. When I'm usually hanging out with Nick, he's on his phone constantly looking at something. And you and, never put it down.
1: And, that's, and I'm a
0: person in the room. And that's... That's a thing
1: for my generate a lot of people my generation and basically everyone in Gen Z. But like that's the thing. It's just you're, you're right. You're 100 right. But yeah. let look at how um, the young girl in this movie reacts when yeah, Megan's Katie. being ta- Katie. Yeah, when Katie when Megan's being taken away from Katie.
0: Katie goes into okay. raptor screech mode. We, we need to, we need to stop for a minute because we need to let the aliens know the plot. Okay. Okay. So Katie's parents. Are killed in an accident, and she is basically orphaned. Yes. So she goes to her nearest relative, which is Gemma, who is a single millennial. Her aunt. Yeah. Um, And she doesn't know how to raise a child. She wasn't going to have children. She wasn't thinking about it. And Katie doesn't know how to relate to Gemma, who is giving her all these feelings that she doesn't really want to... Her there, she's kind of in her way, and Gemma is working on this project for artificial intelligence, which is Megan. Yeah. So she does sort of uh, beta testing with her niece using Megan to prove to her other millennial bosses that she, that there is it's worth investing in and it's it's it, it it works. Yeah. And so that's the basic plot of it.
1: But of course. The science goes horribly wrong. Yeah. And unlike Jurassic Park, where the science went absolutely right, just the capitalism was wrong, this is actually one where the science goes completely off the chain, off the rails, and Megan, the the AI in Megan doesn't just start learning. It becomes completely self-aware.
0: It goes off the rails because there was no checks and balances put into place because it's like I've got to rush this through. I'm thinking selfishly. I'm thinking just of my own individuality. And I am going to actually bring in Ren to the conversation of this. So part of the reason that we're bringing Ren in is because Ren is an early childhood educator. So that's we get to have that wonderful perspective. But also there are so many narratives in the movie, Megan, that I'm having trouble knowing where to start. So Ren, from your experience as an early childhood educator, give me some of your thoughts on this.
2: So the biggest thing that stood out to me in the movie was the discussions with a therapist And the reaction that Katie had when Megan was taken away from her.
0: Okay, so let's start with the therapist. What stood out about that conversation with the therapist to you?
2: So the therapist really tries to instill in Gemma that you need to have interactions with the child. And you need to not just rely on the technology to teach them.
0: Yeah, because one of the narratives that I noticed that I saw, we were talking about after we saw the movie was that, and it's very subtle. So, I mean, some audiences might not catch it is as we're moving through the movie, there are different points between the neighbor, between uh, Katie and Gemma, between the coworkers, between bosses, the whole bit where people are asking to communicate. And the other person is saying, no, we're not going to communicate.
2: And in, Megan, for much of it, uh, Gemma, relies on the technology that she knows that she understands that she can communicate with perfectly to communicate with this other human being and basically assumes that it will do everything that a parent needs to do, which is incorrect.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, uh, it's so much easier, right, to just plunk your child down in front of a tablet or in front of a... And I've seen that in play for different reasons, Um, You know, like for instance, we had friends that ran a restaurant and they had to have their children there, but their children had to be entertained while they were there. So I get that and I'm not dismissing them on that point, but to have that without any particular reason other than maybe you're too lazy to be a parent, I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's, I definitely believe that technology is good for kids, especially now with just how much technology is involved in our lives. Uh, but you can't have it as the only way of raising your child. Right. Like if you need to, okay, I need, a, I need a break. I need a moment, especially with like a lot of the neurodivergent parents. You're just, I need a moment to collect my thoughts. Here's the tablet. Watch a YouTube video and I'll be right back. That's not bad parenting in my opinion. That is right. just relaxing and maybe that's what your child needs to get stimulated and to reset themselves as well.
0: But can it be overused?
2: Yes, it can be overused a lot.
0: And so that, I think, is where we have the problem where we're seeing that in Megan where she completely relies on Megan. And the whole marketing scheme becomes, you don't have to parent. Megan's going to take away all of the, the, the difficult discussions that you have to have with your child and she'll have them with them.
1: And that's legit. That's actually the advertisement that is in the movie for Megan. Yeah it it's insane because it's again it's a very intelligent movie it's a very smart movie because it touches on these things and it's it's not very subtle this movie is basically hey parents you're being dumb sort your crap out yeah
0: and one of the things i noticed because we're talking about the parents and again Don't come for me. This is just part of the narrative. I am not slamming anybody. I love these two millennials that I'm doing this podcast with. This is the first movie that I saw that actually, to me, reflected a very accurate view of millennials in a way. Because – there was that one scene where she has her collectibles. I'm going to stab Nick in the heart with this one. I hate you. Where they had, she had the collectibles and Katie wants to look at them and play with them. She's like, no, 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 you can't touch them. They're the collectibles. And then the the therapist comes in, being probably my generation, probably a Gen Xer, or supposedly. And she's like, why are you not letting this child play with toys?
2: One of the things in that scene that really stood out to me from the <clears throat> educator standpoint was. Oh, Gemma says, that's not what this toy is used for. And that is something that I hear a lot by parents, older children. It doesn't matter. But because children have such an imagination, um, Gemma was like, oh, that's not what the toy is used for. But, you know, we'll just roll it on the ground and if that's what you want to do. And that's one of the most important things of children exploring the world around them. Right. And that's what helps them learn better yeah. in my opinion.
0: So you're, are you saying that she should have allowed Katie to just play with it how she wanted to and then discover the other possibilities on her own? Yeah. Because I mean I, I, for me it was kind of tough watching that scene because I'm sitting there thinking okay we have three personalities here where of course the, the psychologist is sitting there going ah, no, no, yeah, child yeah, let the child do the thing let the child run amok and you, you have no input at all <laughs> you know and There's – Gemma's like, okay, I want to show you how this works so you can get the maximum benefit out of it since I opened it up and destroyed its value.
2: That is a big change that's happened uh, since, like, when I started – when I graduated in 2018 was child-led learning. Right. So when I was in school, it was a lot of, nope, here's this dinosaur week, here's space week, here's blah, blah, themed weeks. And now it's, no, if the kid's not interested in space – we don't have to touch on space, but we'll teach them what gravity is, for example, in right. another way. Okay. Like, if they're more interested in robots, okay, great. If you drop a robot or, like, you have to really work to what they are. And in that case, it would be a case of um, Katie wants to roll the ball on the ground. Will you let her do it? Eventually, she'll find out that it opens up into another item or whatever that thing is supposed to do. Right. Right. But she'll figure it out on her own, and that's more fulfilling for her.
0: Yeah, and it was really kind of interesting, too, that the, the where they really bonded was when she showed her Bruce, which was a different type of robot that she could actually interact with, but wasn't taking over all of the mental capacity things.
2: Mm-hmm. It was, she could imagine with it, she could control it and do, which, as anyone who's seen the movie or going to see the movie, it. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce will play a part yes. in it later, which yeah.
0: actually, you know, I, I applaud them for it because they did it in such a way that I actually forgot all about Bruce. And then when it came back, I went. Yeah. Yes, of course.
2: I find that it was a very satisfying end.
0: Yeah. It. Um, so let's let's so let's move into the, the the neighbor, because the neighbor is definitely representative of Boomer. And Gemma, of course, is this and it gets back to the whole communication because here's what happens. She programs she she doesn't program let me put it another way. She puts in a very lack of boundary suggestion into Megan, which is you must protect Katie and physically and emotionally physically and times. emotionally at all times. You are there for her because she doesn't know how to deal with Katie's trauma, and she thinks, oh yeah, you can do this, and that's where things start going amok, yeah so. Let's
1: talk about the neighbor a little bit more. So one of the main conflicts with the neighbor is the neighbor's dog. The neighbor's dog keeps coming onto Gemma's property. There is a hole in Gemma's fence. And this is something I have noticed about my generation is there is a fix and they won't take the steps to make the fix. They'll just say, you need to do this. Yeah. And... Gemma does nothing to fix this hole. Yeah. And And it causes huge problems. Yeah,
0: exactly. But also, if you really think about it, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. But I don't know that necessarily Boomer neighbor really... She she was so focused on her dog and not paying attention to Gemma, who she does not see as an equal adult.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. The infantilization of of, uh, millennials has been around forever. Like the whole... I remember the whole Tide Pod thing that came along. That was Gen Z. Yeah. But all the boomers and all the gen Xers, are like, oh, stupid millennials! Stupid oh, gen,
0: kids. Gen, gen, I, gen Xers were not doing that. Pardon me, I you, wasn't. Okay, that's fair. But <laughs> gen, all, all, you, all, you have to remember, my favorite meme, my favorite meme for every millennial that hates a boomer and every boomer that hates a millennial. Just remember, there's a generation in between that hates you both.
1: <laughs> and there it is. But okay, so that everything has been done to infantilize a generation that is now pushing forty. Yeah. That are now full adults. I've experienced it in my personal life. I've seen it experienced in society overall. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. She does talk down to Gemma as a child.
0: But at the same time... Gemma uh, gets back to that narrative of no communication. Gemma doesn't try to see the neighbor's side of it. She doesn't try to interact with it. Yeah. It's just, I am correct. I am in my my bubble. I am, you know, like, you need to control your dog. I don't need to fix my fence. You need to control your dog. Nobody and,
1: wants to meet each other on the same yeah, level.
0: And in very many ways, Gemma is acting in an immature manner in a child like manner, which is where we're seeing that kind of problem, you know, because I, I have jokingly said to you about, you know, it's like, well, okay. So you want to wear like the, the, like a Pikachu onesie and go around throwing, throwing a, a ball at, at something like it's a real life Pokemon. And, you know, people in their forties generally don't do that.
1: But, and, and that's the thing though people in their 40, in their 30s and 40s now are doing things that prior generations didn't used to do. We weren't
0: 60, even we weren't allowed to do it. We would have been called out 100% on
1: that. 60% of the toy consumer market right now is people over 30. 60%.
0: Yeah, because they're buying it as a collectible, yeah. right? Well, they
1: they're, they're like my generation is buying toys like the one meme I saw, we're just Spending all of our stuff that on stuff all of our money on stuff that makes us happy until the world ends. Yeah, that is what what millennial culture is right now, and it.
0: But it, that's not every millennial, obviously. But it,
1: is it not? I mean, look at look at well, most most millennials now play video games well into the thirties and forties. When I was younger, I did not know. I knew some adults that had video game systems, some. But now, as an adult, as a millennial, I would say the vast majority. Of people my age and maybe a little bit older, at the very least, have a have a Nintendo Switch. At the very
0: least. It's going to be interesting as the population ages what nursing homes are going to look like because they're going to have to have gaming systems.
1: Listen, when I'm, when I'm in a nursing home, they're going to have to have... I'm just going to have to bring all my Transformers with me.
0: Okay, so we're a little off topic. And again, don't, don't anybody come for me. I'm not even expressing an opinion. I'm just making examples.
2: That also being said, um, once again, from an educator standpoint... If your child goes into kindergarten and can't turn on, turn off, adjust the volume and pull up YouTube on an iPad, occasionally, not all the time, that could be, like, that's something that they need to know by the time they yeah, reach yeah, kindergarten. Yeah. yeah, Because that's how technology is going. And so it's it's finding that balance between, yes, you need to know the technology, yes, you need to understand it, and you need to be able to work it. And then also, you can't let that take over your life. And that goes for... You know, yeah. children and teenagers and, like, right. even me occasionally. The
1: fundamentals have changed. And that's that's actually a part of war right. now as well. Well, you're
0: right. The fundamentals have changed. I mean, let's go back to, to little John, five years old in kindergarten, shall we? Uh, Mrs. Cox's uh, kindergarten class. And I remember this so vividly where we were counting. And we were counting up until 99. And she said, what comes after 99? And I said 100. And everybody else was saying stupid things like 110. She was throwing out numbers at random. And she, she heard it. And she points at me to say it again. And, guys, I got to tell you, I looked at all of my other kindergartners like they were the dumbest things on the planet. And I said with <laughs> – I just went, 100. Like what the – how do you not know this? The reason they don't know this is because I think my mother took very seriously. Here's the things that your child needs to know coming into kindergarten, how to tie their shoes, how to, you know, whatever. So she was very serious about doing that. Uh, but I, And I'm not saying that the other parents were bad parents. I don't mean that. But times have changed. There was no technology in there none whatsoever the technology was the film strips that the teacher had to crank in the next one oh here's the beep next frame so i mean there wasn't all this technology to learn and that's where i think we're getting into these disconnects right because again getting back to the movie with the the boomer neighbor she doesn't understand gemma's Problems? How could she you understand your problems? You go to work, you do your job, you come home, you have a martini. If your boss is a dick, you know, <laughs> like basically that's how it was dealt with, right? You just yeah. s- you just sucked it up, and we know that that wasn't a hundred percent correct. So here I am as a Gen Xer, going, "Where's the middle ground?"
1: Yeah, and going back to. I, <laughs> The idea of this being a horror film. Definitely a horror film. A lot of technological terror in it. But I feel like this is... this is Horror is at its 100% best when it's skewering what's going on in real life. And makes the, you think. And makes you think. And the fact of the matter is, is we're not f- that far off from Megan. And
0: and it has those comical... No, dude, we are, to say we're not that far off from Megan, I'm sorry, Megan is here. We just can't afford her. She's here in different forms. There are sex bots that you can have. There are, uh, like, if you think about the very simple idea of having a Roomba. You know, you don't have to vacuum anymore. Roomba will do it. You know,
1: Look at at the conversations I've had with my Google Home.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty
1: sure that one night that thing is going to be sitting above me in bed with a knife.
0: But they have those jokes in there where where your Google Home will sit there and go, I don't appreciate you talking to me that way or something like that, right?
2: In my opinion, this whole movie could have been stopped if they just put the three laws of robotics in. But that's just me.
0: So here we are with this we've we basically set the plot of the movie so here we are so where do things start going wrong now ren you had initiated talking about the laws of robotics so what are they
2: uh so isaac asimov came up with the three laws of robotics uh it, number 1 is a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to be to come of harm uh two a robot must obey orders given to it by a human beings except where the laws of the first, one, first law would be conflicted. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not come in conflict, conflict with the first or second law.
0: And that's really interesting because you're right. Gemma did none of that because she just wanted the quick fix. I don't want to deal with my niece. Here it is. Hey, robot, you deal with her
1: so and 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 that's another thing is Gemma was so preoccupied with getting Megan in front of her boss working properly because she wanted to make the next big toy she wanted to make this amazing AI that they could get into
0: home, yeah, and th- that was the whole thing too because even the bo- even though the boss was an absolute ass monkey, the whole thing is that. That's not where they were going. They came in and said, "You are wasting our money. You are doing all of this, this tech that we didn't tell you to do. This is the toy we wanted you to market and make. This Furby-like thing. Ugh. You know, like this. And that's smart using that because that's really our first little AI, right? Yeah. So they it was really smart doing that, and she didn't listen. No, no, no. This is better, but. It gets back to that whole corporate shilling, where each generation is the same thing. I'm going to pick on the boomers on this one, because the boomers were the hippie generation. They were all about you know peace and love and uh, fighting the man, only to become the man. Yep. And then you have a certain segment of millennials that's like, no, I don't want to do things like they did, and blah, 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 unless I'm making a ton of money, and then it's okay. The, The fact
1: of the matter is, is when you look at something like Megan and you apply that to real life, there is a certain level of our generation, my generation becoming a snake eating its own tail. We are spinning our wheels for capitalism. We are innovation is not being made for innovation. Innovation is being made to make money. And that is a huge problem right. because when you do, when you innovate for make it for the sake of making money, then you forget the three laws of, of robotics. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, like getting back to the, the generational divide that they did in there, I thought it was really interesting because again, how can the neighbor a- ever relate to Gemma when she's doing a job that she, the, the neighbor couldn't have imagined being done? I mean, even when I sit there and I, I will ask, You guys, a lot of times, it's like, people are actually making money just doing a YouTube video? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, that blows my mind.
1: Yeah. YouTube. Like, things have changed. And I'm going to go back to the Vince McMahon thing for a second because this was actually brought up on uh, the Jim Cornette experience. The way things used to work, the way things used to work for wrestling shows in the territories was they would pay for TV time and they would make their money off of ad revenue. Now it's completely the other way around. Yeah. Now the TV show, the TV networks pay for their shows, and of course make money off of ad revenue, merch, and stuff like that. And it's the same thing with with um. It's now YouTube is paying people for their content. Yeah. These people, like if we when we put stuff on YouTube, when we're going to put stuff on YouTube, we're not paying YouTube that. Yeah. We are. They'll. They will eventually. Uh. We'll. We'll work on the payment thing later, guys. But um, they'll eventually pay us to be on there.
0: Yeah. It, It amazes me, too, how the filmmakers did this at a really good pace. Yeah. It's not a slow burn. It doesn't go overly fast. You get those ideas where you see Megan and the more information she gets the more she is interpreting and misinterpreting that because there was that experiment that they did, what was it, probably a decade ago now or more, where they created an artificial intelligence, made her a teenage girl, let her loose on the internet to find out what she would learn and she came back as a racist, white supremacist, sociopathic, psychopathic creature. And this is why we can't have nice things.
1: So, and even comparing this movie to Avengers Age Age of Ultron, Ultron does the same thing. Ultron spends five seconds on the internet and goes, well, we got to get rid of the humans.
0: Yeah. And, But but that's because people mess with it, right? So, that's the thing. Gemma realizes, okay, I made a mistake. Uh, Katie can't be the only one that has control over Megan. So, I'm your... Secondary primary user, you must obey me too. Yeah, and that's where the conflict starts because as Katie becomes more addicted to the idea of Megan being this supportive friend, the supportive sister she figure, saying, and she starts saying off the right that she starts saying the right things. Megan is saying very wonderful things to her about that must be very hard for you. That must be very sad for you. How do you feel about that? You know, like she's she starts off being very wonderful with her but the interesting thing is that megan is just as addicted to katie as katie is to megan
1: it becomes a symbiotic relationship which again is completely relevant because kids and millennials all have that symbiotic relationship with their phones with their with their devices my phone is is my sidekick it has all the information i need at a a fingertip if I want to, if I'm if I'm struggling for a bit of information, boom, my phone has it. I can look it up. If I am struggling for something to do, my phone has it. I play a game. If I want to listen to something, my phone has it. I listen to music. I listen to a podcast. Yeah. It is. It is a sidekick, and it yeah. is symbiotic at this point. Yeah,
0: but look at the problem that we're having with society where it, there's misinformation, and that people are taking that information, and they're spending it, and when that information is proven to be false, they still stick to It's like, no, no, I learned that that information was correct. Therefore, it is correct. I believe it is correct. And we have these toxicities because you can just sit behind your computer and spout whatever opinion you want, and then defend it Like, well, it's my opinion. And I'm noticing this problem where you have... I can say my opinion, but you can't say yours. Okay.
1: <laughs> Let's look at modern technology as the invention of the car. The, the car changed everything. Yeah, great. Just like modern technology. And just like modern technology, things progress for it. Like cars right. did not were not invented with windshields. Cars were not invented with seatbelts. Cars were not invented with windshield wipers. Right. The fact of the matter is, is these things ha- came along when, they, when the problem was presented. Yeah, and when pushed
0: they, through as fast as they could.
1: And it's the same thing with technology nowadays. When, when the internet was created, there was, nobody knew what kind of absolute crap storm would happen with people on the well, internet. Well, with all the misinformation, yeah, and with if, all the misleading well, yeah, all that I, stuff.
0: And I wouldn't say when the internet was created, because we know that it was a military device, Right so created for home yeah when, when it came into the, the home use i remember it i remember because like you get your own little website and it's full of like these stickers of kittens and geocities yeah just what, space. whatever right and it was very benign and it was very nice but i have i'm not going to say the group i have left a group because all it is is just negativity and, even, well, and if somebody tries to call that out, and we've seen this numerous times, they call that out, no need to say goodbye, just leave, and all these funny little memes and everything. And we are creating our own toxicity with this. So is it any wonder that Megan, as she progresses and learns things, she's learning the worst of human behavior?
1: And she is. She absolutely is. Because look at what she's working with. She's dealing with Katie, who is a child child dealing with the death of her parents. She's learning from that. And her main adult in her life is Gemma, who is so preoccupied with her work. Yeah. That and
0: almost childlike herself.
1: Yeah. That she can't, she's not proper she doesn't start properly functioning as a guardian until the end of the movie.
0: Yeah. And you know it's it's so fascinating too, watching a movie like this because of all of the different narratives that are in there and and all the different things that we can take from it and it it's just wild to me watching something like this especially because when we get those moments where it's a build up and it's build up and it's build up and then they take Katie to that special school and it's played for laughs but we've all seen the mothers like that yeah. where my Child is the most precious thing, and he's so intelligent. And I can't say it because we try not to swear or keep it PG on this this movie. But he he the the bratty kid sits there and goes "F you, Holly" to his mother.
1: Yeah, and that is another thing that I am I'm dealing with with my kid, not with my kid, but like the kids. Around them. Yeah, it's it was the whole are, turning point in the movie. There right? are a lot of kids out there that are just like their parents let them say or do whatever they want. It's like, oh no. Yeah, so so
0: this kid is a I mean He's a psycho.
1: He's he, sociopathic. He's
0: an absolute He's entitled. He's, yeah. he's completely entitled that entitlement has come from his bad parenting. Is completely entitled, do what you want, it's fine, whatever, you know. Without any consequences, and this is such an interesting thing because he winds up hurting Katie in a kind of benign way. He's being bullyish, whatever. Yeah. But Megan comes up, and just you know, the, the whole design of Megan is wonderful because there's so much emotion that is in the face. And she comes up, and she's sort of pretending to still just be this doll. And it's really interesting because we now get into this little hint. I mean, if there's any problem with the movie, it's too many narratives. But we got into that little bit of toxic masculinity, right? The
1: the movie has a lot to say in an hour and a half. Yeah, I I agree with that completely.
0: Yeah. So we get this little hint of toxic masculinity where this kid, uh, age approximately... Twelve. Twelve. Basically it's alluding to sexual assault on Megan. He mounts her. Yeah. He straight up mounts her. You know, but there's also dialogue and whatever, right?
1: The juxtaposition's there. Yeah,
0: it's there. But, and then this is where we really see the full on Megan is now turning into something else where she scares him by coming to life. And in probably one of the few scenes of gore of which I'm not a gore hound, but I wish there was more. She rips his ear off. Yep. And. Just
1: straight up Mike Tyson's him.
0: Yeah. Holy crap. Um, okay. And it just. It's amazing how it progresses.
1: And you know what the hilarious. And the thing
0: is I can't feel bad for I know, the I know when not
1: say that. The hilarious thing about the entire scene is I'm like, you know what? That kid can die in a fire. I don't care. He's a, he's a, you know what? I don't care.
2: So the special school that John mentioned earlier is actually an all-outdoor education school, which a lot of schools have started to move towards. So instead of working in a classroom, the children are outside and doing all of their learning there. So in that case, like in the movie, they have their lunches outside, they're doing all of their education outside, they're exploring the woods, they're basically doing their own thing, they're playing and they're learning on their own through the outdoor world. Right. And it's a whole new type of learning that's been brought into school districts, at least in that I know of in our area. Uh and it takes out a lot of the technology. So basically Katie goes from always with Megan, being homeschooled, to being put outside with a bunch of other kids, and she isn't allowed to bring Megan. Megan has to stay Megan was going to go to work with Gemma, but then Megan ends up sitting on the toy the toy table yeah. with the rest of the stuffed animals and everything at yeah, the other and, kids and, and
0: part of that was, of course, because Katie didn't want to go without uh, Megan. And, of course, Gemma is trying to protect her secrets and property and all that kind of stuff. So she yeah. Says, well, you, you have to go and pretend that you are just a toy because she just gave up the, the fight of not having the which, doll with which her. Which
1: is an incredibly relatable thing. Like, the... Telling your kid that they can't have their device and they just raptor scream until they get it is honestly very common. Yeah. And that's just what happens now.
0: So talk a little bit about the other mother. Not, not the other mother from Caroline, but the, the other mother that is there that is
2: just like, Oh, my, my psychopathic child is just so precious and intelligent. Oh, that's okay, sweetie. You can tell me to F off. So the other mother is portraying the type of parent that doesn't give their kids boundaries. And just allows the basically the child to run the house, to run their lives, to do as they please, just because either the mother is afraid of how the child will act out mm-hmm. or afraid of harm, of emotionally harming their child. Right.
0: And it's really interesting, too, because I mean, me coming from that middle generation where I heard from my grandmother, children should be seen and not heard. Well, that's not right. I mean,. How else are you going to know if a child's being abused or if a child's being picked on or or whatever, right? I grew up in, in the realm where a neighbor could pick me up, give me a SWAT, send me home for another one, even though we're not really doing anything wrong other than being a kid. And now it feels like we've swung the other way, where we have these helicopter parents and bulldozer parents and parents that won't let their kids out of their sight for five seconds and all this other thing. And you see words and talk and whatever. And I'm just wondering, where's the middle ground? Well, I, I,
1: I understand that um, completely. One of my big things when I'm trying to communicate with, with my kid is communication, communicating emotions like i try, like i do my best to communicate that their emotions are valid but they have to tell me what's wrong yeah and that's with a lot of kids nowadays that's difficult because they don't necessarily know how to communicate yeah but
0: were you guys taught to communicate
2: not in the way that we're that we are taught to teach kids now yeah i mean i
0: wasn't taught to communicate honestly i wasn't it was you know uh generation above the, the boomers that was just sitting there going, uh, no, you sit there. This is the way we've always done it and the way we're always going to do it. Teachers could smack us. So here's the thing, though, with communication.
1: Okay, we don't necessarily learn how to communicate with from our parents. We learn how to communicate with each other, from each other. And with people who, are, who have their nose, with kids who have their nose on their devices all the right. time, they're not getting all of that interaction. Right. I have seen some kids who have moved into high school where they're now starting to get more interaction because the the is more involved than when they were small right. kids where they are starting to communicate better. Right. But for a lot of them it's still not there.
0: Yeah, it was kind of like I was telling you about my interaction with that young sales clerk at yeah. at the store where she was she's required to come up and see if I need any help. But she was so awkward, and it was very easy for me to look at this, uh, to me, child, uh, teenage girl, and sit there and go, "Wow, you're really introverted, and you really don't know how to do this, and it's, but you're kind of forced to do it, and I, I felt bad for her."
1: Yeah, and I, I do kind of feel like younger people are more introverted than extroverted. Yeah, like and I've th- seen extroverted kids like the, uh but a lot there's a lot more introverted. Yeah, and
0: that's the thing like Katie was introverted because uh, let's go back to the very start of the movie when they have their automobile collision. Mm-hmm. And she's got that Furby-like thing, and the, the her mother is just being annoyed by it because they're in the middle of a blizzard. And she's like, can you shut that thing off for five minutes and, you know, whatever. Because she was already introverted going into Gemma's home.
1: Yeah, and I just want to talk about that opening scene as well, because I think that is a perfect—it's a worst-case scenario. But I think it's a perfect rendition of how sometimes you're in the car with your kid— You've got your asshole with you and everybody's going off at once and it's just annoying at times Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to address it properly. So yeah, you get angry.
0: Yeah. And you know what's kind of clever about this movie too, is that you, I never thought I would be sitting in a movie theater and just be gleefully cheerful that a child gets murked. <laughs> I mean, he was... That kid was such... <laughs> such a little psychopath that when he ran from Megan, he runs from Megan, gets hit by a car, and becomes a, a stain on the highway. Street pizza! It goes It goes back to Stephen King and... Oh, <laughs> Gage. And Gage, yeah. Uh, but... It, and it's it's not very visceral, which I kind of wish they had leaned a little bit more into the the gore and the horror. But I everything that Megan was doing, you kind of cheer for her when she takes these people out because they're just nasty. Yeah, you know, and that that brings us to when she's full on bonkers, where she goes and just wipes out the boss and wipes out the guy that is uh, stealing uh, corporate secrets for his own pleasure and she is so methodical about it and she is so in tune with it and she uses gaslighting in a way you know and it's oh she's
1: oh my god she's like the character of megan itself is so well written like she goes completely bat bot crazy and that little dance
0: right was done by i think it was done by a dancer from australia just the, the moves were fantastic um but i was just like sitting there like you know you, you sit there and you, you you might watch a a movie where you're just like no no i don't want this person to die or oh no don't kill the dog or whatever where, with with megan you're just like do it oh my god do it merc them i don't well, care
1: and that's also kind of the thing i mean obviously we wanted to root for katie and we did and that you mean megan
0: no, Katie. Oh, Katie. It was hard to root for Katie because he, th- this was the smart part of the script because she was becoming like that boy. What very wanted, Very much like that boy. What I'm saying
1: is that you wanted...
0: You because wanted her, to. Wanted to, yes.
1: Because her parents are dead. She's yeah. dealing with a hard situation. But yeah, she's becoming a jerk face with
0: this stupid doll. And that's what I really loved about the movie is it was hard to like anybody, which yes. is why you sit there. And then and then it, they, they do this sort of thing where you're like, um, you know what? Maybe, maybe the way Megan's handling things. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, all right. I get it. <laughs>
1: but that, that's also kind of the thing for Gemma. It, it, the story really is about Gemma. The story is about Gemma. And it's about... Her learning to accept this little girl into her life and become a guardian. That is her journey. That is her hero's journey in this. And she creates her own villain in Megan. And she needs to overcome that villain that she's created for herself. Which, again, plays into kind of millennial society. Yeah. And... That's that's kind of it.
0: And, you know, Nick, I'm going to request a double spoiler alert here because my favorite part of the movie is coming up. And I don't want people to – I want them to be as surprised as I was. So Megan escapes from the corporation where she's supposed to be presented. And, of course, she's just – wasted the boss she's wasted uh, the the corporate weasel and there's a great scene where they're bloodied in the the elevator and of course chaos ensues and she sits there and goes i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna sort this gemma cow out that's all there is to it and the, all the things that ensue and it's almost comical and you always have to have sort of com- comedy in those tense situations, but it's almost like two parents fighting and the kid not knowing what to do with it, because the kids like hearing all the commotion. And then they both turn to her and it's like, Everything's fine, Katie. <laughs> Don't come in here.
1: Yeah, I can't relate to that at all. Uh- <laughs>
0: But it's it's but it's but funny, too, how like you see that kind of dynamic where one parent has this idea and the other parent has that idea. And it's a discussion that they probably didn't have before they got married and had children. You know what I'm saying? How are we going to raise the children? Uh, and so the, there's a fault in that. But the reason I, I bring that up is because it starts getting into this very violent third act, the fighting between Megan, who is the superior strength robotic being here, and... Gemma trying to outsmart her and of course she gets the drop on her Mm -hmm. and then Katie comes in and Megan really thinks that Katie is on her side and going to her side and this was my favorite part of the movie because they did such a good job writing it that I completely forgot about it was just such a benign thing at the beginning of the movie and Katie sits there and says Yeah, you haven't been introduced to another member of the family, Bruce.
1: And Bruce comes in and...
0: Layeth the smacketh down on Megan. Now, my criticism of that, though, is they should have continued with that. I thought it was a little cheesy how they had Bruce trip and fall over something and trapped him and couldn't get up. Because I just love the fact that that was such a wonderful thing. Because now you have... Technology versus technology.
2: So, the other part of that is that Bruce is controlled by like, mechanical by gloves yeah. that Katie has on her hands. And it's Katie is the one that takes Megan out. The thing that she got so attached to, the technology yeah. that basically started to control her entire human, yeah. like her entire being, she's the one that destroyed it. Yeah. And in my opinion, that was such a good like but it also
0: but it also makes the point too that we need to control technology control technology should not control us there
1: it is that is exactly it
2: well megan brings up a point during this whole argument and everything it's uh she's arguing with gemma about oh well you know i'll take care of katie don't worry and i'll do it with you around because you're the guardian but you'll be catatonic yeah and it's Oh, human beings, yes, you can make technology and you can try to control it. But really, it's so easy to take us down. And the technology could do it if it gets out of hand. Well,
1: but but- compare that compare that to the Matrix. Like That's exactly what happens in the Matrix. The robots take over and put us in a cat- catatonic state so they can use us. Yeah, that
0: scene where Joey Pants where he's going, I know that this steak isn't real, but I don't want to know what else is out there. And I love biting the steak you know like that that's a great scene where you see that where he's like I'm all for this matrix whatever living in la la land but but it it's it's just so rich because i mean we have the vr virtual reality goggles right and living here and it, it's fun as a game for me but my friend mark brought up a point he's like yeah like no i mean virtual reality is great cuz you could be sitting in like this This silly little bachelor apartment, but you can put on these VR goggles and be living in a mansion.
1: Star Trek. Star Trek, the next generation. Lieutenant Barkley. He becomes addicted to the holodeck. It's the same thing's going to happen with people with VR. They're not going to know where the real world ends and VR begins because they're not going to care. Yeah. Because the VR is better than the real world. But
0: ultimately, is the message here that humans can't be replaced? Can we replace humans? Because I I do get concerned. Now, I was a personal support worker. My back, uh, it happens. A lot of PSWs, their backs get ruined. So, hey, well, we can have technology to do that lifting. Fantastic. So here's the thing. We're looking at robots to do medical care. We're looking at robots to do cooking. We're looking at robots to do all of these things for us. But what happens, and it's very small. It's very small. But when we went to see the movie... Here's what happened at my home. For some reason, I changed the batteries. I did everything I was supposed to do. For some reason, the remote control didn't work. And my mother was stuck on whatever channel the box was showing, right? And she said, I don't know what I'm going to do here. So we set her up to watch a movie while I was out watching the movie. So she wouldn't have to worry about it. So that little tiny bit of technology failed. When you think about the technology that she grew up with, she, I mean, she predates television,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and you had to get up and actually change the channels to now having this remote that is, does so many different things, controls the cable, controls the TV, controls all these things. It's very confusing for her. She didn't understand what to do. I didn't understand what to do because the, it, it stopped, it failed. Now here's the thing. Get home, and all of a sudden, it's on a different channel. We'd we'd ordered a new remote from the cable company because it's not working. We did everything we could, and it just stopped working. Fine, we'll send you a new one. Here you go. I get home from the movie, guys, and it's on a different channel. I said, what happened? And my mom just sat there and said, it just started working again.
1: So, and that's that's kind of the thing. Technology is... is
0: it's great until it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, and the th- the fact of the matter is, is technology is it doesn't always work. Like the amount of t- how many times have you sat in my living room with me and watched me fiddle around with a Roku remote, which is just frozen? Yeah, exactly. And we are expecting technology, which is created by infallible people, to be infallible and still watch it be fallible. Ugh. It's just bad. It's bad. It, we are we are dealing with. People who want to live in the Jetson era and we're not there yet.
0: I am ticked off we're not in the Jetson era as much as I hate technology. We kind of are in a way. We kind of are. I mean, like they had the video screens for the phone call and we, Rosie the robot, we're getting robots. Uh, So we're we're kind of there, but we're kind of not. I still want that flying car that folds into a briefcase. That's just awesome. Um, I'm sure Musk is working on it. Yeah, so... Time of truth. Let's we'll start with Ren. What do you give the, the movie? What's what What's your rating?
2: Out of 10, uh, I mean, I give it like an 8.
0: Okay. That's good. Nick? 7. 7. Yeah. Uh, I'm somewhere between you guys. I give it a 7.5. Yeah. I, I realize that there's a lot of people that, that didn't like the movie. That and it's I want not, to
1: talk about that. You want to talk about I that? Do. Okay, go ahead. Very, very simply put... If you did not like this movie, you watched it wrong. And if you, think, <laughs> if you think that this is an incredibly intelligent film, there's a lot going on. And if you think this movie is stupid, perhaps, maybe just a little bit, you saw too much of yourself in this film. And you need to revisit it.
0: Also, to the people that say it's not a horror film, it's more sci-fi. No, this is not sci-fi because this is the reality that we're living it's, in.
1: It's a technological Star Trek horror. is
0: sci-fi. This is horror. Yeah. If you don't think this is horror... uh, Horror is not just one thing, guys. It's not just gore. Yeah. Okay? This is a horror movie. It's not... It's not overly scary. It's not overly visceral. But it is still a horror movie.
1: And I'll be be honest with you. I do kind of disagree that it's not overly scary. Because the scares aren't in the scares on screen. The scares are in
0: the morality of it. The uh, science of it. All right. But... Is it as scary as, say, Terrifier 2 or Terrifier? No. no. So it's no. not overly, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's not like you're going to sit there and have, well, somebody might, but the average person isn't going to have nightmares about Megan. There's probably some poor coder out there going, oh, my God, why? <laughs> now, mind you, I say that, but, you know, it's. I think it's kind of funny that there's these children who are just, like, dressing up as Art the Clown. It's like, Terrifier! and their parents are sitting there letting them watching them. But I guarantee you that those same children are going to probably see something as benign as Megan and sit there and look at their doll and go, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, no. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, it, um, <laughs> Straw Hat Goofy is a, a, a content creator that I follow, and he made a video uh, with... He's walking through a hall, and there's a bunch of Megans walking past him, and I'm just like, you know what? If I was him, I would, I would just... Everything would be gone. I would be a a cloud of dust and there would be a Nick-shaped hole in the wall. (laughs) I would be
0: out. Well, aliens, we had a lot to talk about. This is our longest show to date. Ren, thank you for joining us because we really could not have had this discussion without you. Um, Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. Well, of
1: course, you can find us on social media by searching for Area 51 half on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Hive at the Area 51 H., and don't forget to follow, like, rate, and share us with your friends and enemies. Remember, if you rate us, that brings us up in the rankings for podcasts, so please help us out there.
0: And just before we go, we want to pay tribute to the great Pele, the face of, well, they call it football in every other part of the world, but North America, soccer. Yeah. He passed away, and there will never be another icon of soccer slash football like Pele.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Thank you for joining us, aliens. That is all the time we have, and we will see you again in two weeks. So, yeah, I really like making (laughs) it. It's fun to watch.